Welcome back to Incremental, the Continuous Improvement Podcast. I'm Uriel Eisen. And I'm Devin Bedoni. And this is our concepts edition. And today's focus is um, sort of around in-house versus sending stuff out, building custom machines and custom solutions, um, kind of wrestling with some of that at the moment. So I thought it would be interesting to talk through. Um, very confusing sometimes reading the <laughs> books and yeah. how they talk about it versus my experience and not just my experience also the just the advice of like focus on yeah what you're good at and stuff like that right. so just squaring that circle squaring that circle i think it often comes back to our scale compared to the scale most of these books are written about i think it's important to always keep that perspective right um and just remember that we are very resource straps strapped in all ways, time, money, personnel, expertise. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh you got to take everything with a grain of salt and think about it as a, a hopeful future state. Yeah. Of. I just feel like I can argue it every which way. Uh huh. You Wait, know, you can argue against the scales thing or you can, Oh, argue, you can argue like I should build this in house yeah. or I should buy it. And you can sort of come up with a very good argument for, yeah either one yeah um you had a quote i do <clears throat> uh this is a joke i heard from an engineer when i was a kid but it's topical the optimist sees a glass half full the pessimist sees a glass half empty and the engineer sees a glass that's twice as big as it needs to be <laughs> <laughs> um and this is maybe relating to actually that it's like uh it's good to remember that you know you can't like just i think I think the point of that is just to remember that to look realistically at the current state mm -hmm. and not, uh, not be too focused on an unrealistic, potentially unrealistic future state or trick yourself into what your current state is even. Um, right. And I do think this is really common both in theory of constraints and lean is like really in TPS is really establishing what is the current state. And what is our ideal state? Um, and most of us are not that good at that, myself included. I think I'm very prone to focusing on the the future ideal state without recognizing what my current state is and what the necessary steps are to get from here to there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been reading a couple books um, and there's a lot of talk. This is something that's sort of been on my mind is like the step, step one of problem solving sort of like a three or Toyota. Mm, I'm forgetting. There's a, there's a term for this. It's like an eight step process. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a, an expanded PDCA yeah. uh, plan, do check <clears throat> act. Um, and yeah, I think I often don't spend enough time on the, drilling down on exactly what is the problem yeah and um shigeo shingo talks about means and ends and that you should improve the ends not the means um which is a little confusing because i'll give an example but <laughs> um because means and ends are sort of interchangeable depending on the scale you're looking at and so like like uh, searching for food is a means to an end, uh -huh. the end being eating. Yeah. But eating is actually also a means to an end, which is staying alive uh -huh. <laughs> and so on and so forth. And so it's not necessarily a great filter, but I think of um, like we've sort of talked about degreasing in my shop yeah. a bit and coming up. And I think most of the time I've spent is thinking about how to speed up the decreasing process. And then our friend Avi reached out and was like, can you degrease in the tumbler? Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, probably, right? And I think I just lost focus on the ends, which is having parts that are ready for paint. It's sure. not about yeah. perfecting the degreasing process. It's like <laughs> <laughs> about how the parts need to be. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I think that's, that's really true. The other thing I like about this quote, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, is uh, the lack of judgment uh -huh. Right. It doesn't matter 
it's not about a more like you don't yeah. have to moralize it <laughs> it's just like being realistic and it's fine yeah um yeah exactly yeah it's not like oh bummer or oh yeah this is so great it's just like this is where we are this is where we are and our glasses yeah why are we spending money on so much extra glass (laughs) yeah (laughs) good question um all right uh starting us off here i have you know the the phrase what gets measured gets managed or um people like more measurement results in more um action or something like that Mm -hmm. um and the issue there is that too many measurements, uh, no one knows what to focus on. And yeah. so I think Goldratt talks about this. And then also in the uh, in Designing the Future, they talk about it, where basically in Designing a Future, I believe they talk about uh, a maximum of five metrics and all those metrics yeah. need to be in someone's control. Sure. Um, and they, you know, anecdotally, they were talking to some people who had like I forget one one lady had like 150 metrics like key metrics right uh-huh. everyone talks about KPIs and whatever right. it's like these 150 key metrics I'm reminded of the the quote if you have uh, more than three uh, priorities you don't have priorities <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like you have to keep it really really basic yeah. um, other and, and I feel this way a little bit for myself it's like the second it's like okay this month we're gonna focus on uh, sales. And then two days later, it'll be like, we also really need to focus on improving our cycle times. Right. And then two days later, <laughs> yeah, you just keep adding things you're really focusing on or, you know, really want to measure about the business. Um, yeah, I was I was reading some more about just some like Internet reading about theory of constraints, trying to kind of dive into it a little bit more. Yeah, same. Last night. Um, and that seems like a key aspect of all of Goldratt stuff is like simplicity, like boil this down to its simplest, you know, keep key principles. Um, and it's like, we spend a lot of time thinking about the production side and the bottleneck, but another, like a key principle of his, of the theory of constraints, like methodology is using throughput accounting <coughs> and throughput accounting is like, its whole thing also is reducing the number of, of measurements. Right. You just have four or I think it's, I'll just read. Actually, it's only three. We talked about this a little bit last couple weeks ago, I think, Mm -hmm. but throughput investment slash, uh, what used to be called inventory. Um, they've, I think broadened that term to include all investment. Smart. Um, and operating expense. And it's like the, those three things at the end of the day, tell you all you need to know you may need in terms of like the health of the business as a right whole, right right you may need to dive into specifics here and there sometimes to to pull information out but they are not indicative of the health of the business they may be indicative of some small aspect of the of a process or something yeah and i think it's important to remember like goodhart's principle uh once something becomes a metric it becomes a bad metric right and ideally, those metrics that he's identified, I think he puts a lot of time into thinking about like the units and the like what you're actually measuring. And so the goal there is, I think he has another quote that I pulled out. I forget if we've talked about it on the podcast, but yeah. every measurement needs to, oh man, like optimize for the best outcomes of the business or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you give someone a measurement to hit, yeah, it need them doing a good job needs to relate to the the business performing well. And the problem is that a lot of people talk about metrics that actually don't. Yeah, for example, or don't in isolation. Like you guys need to produce more stuff, right? And then it's like, all right, we'll get really good at that. And then it's like, wow, you just made a ton of inventory. Mm-hmm. That's gonna mess us up. I think where people often get lost is that most of the metrics that are identified do further the goal in theory, but when focused on in isolation, they don't. Right. Right. And so I think that's part of having this kind of broad 30,000 foot view. Yeah. Is that it pulls, it kind of takes the noise out of that so that you can't focus on any one and get an unrealistic picture. Um, 
if yeah. you were to like to imagine every one of those little metrics as being a pixel, if you like zoom in too much and it's just like, let's just make this one big. And then you zoom out and you're like, Whoa, that, that doesn't look right. <laughs> but if you zoom out you can kind of like see the whole pixelated picture. Yeah. And I think you need clearly. to stay zoomed out. Yeah. Even if at times you zoom in, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think the, uh, I mean, it's really hard. I think the other piece is just which metrics are easy to get. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, a lot of the metrics I think people pick, which we've talked about yeah, are based on what's easy. Yeah. Right. Um, I had a meeting with a potential bookkeeper this last week and that was part of it where she was like, so how in depth do you want to get on, you know, on your like costing and interesting you know, kind of performance stuff. And I was like, well, at the end of the day, the business is kind of simple. And she was like, well, manufacturing can get kind of complicated if you're like tracking every product. And I was like, oh yeah, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> like Interesting. we make a different thing every other day. Right. Like we need to just be looking at, yeah, the overall business. And we're going to be kind of trying to dial in our general net profit and our general cost of goods. And if we try and zoom in too much, it's just going to become a nightmare. Right. I could imagine with paperless parts, et cetera, I could yeah. imagine it being useful to have some feedback between definitely quoting a job and then the actual net profit on that job. I can also imagine it being really hard to figure out because it's not like you're working on one thing in isolation at a time. No, we're just, yeah, that's one big hope for me in moving into new quoting software is trying to build in some feedback loops. But like you just said, we can only kind of zoom in on a couple aspects of that yeah, and at least try and like bring those closer to parity where it's like, right. if I see a common, like I always quote 10 minutes under what a thing takes to run. That's a very easy thing to bring into parity and it does have a big effect. Yeah. But when it comes to like trying to account for every aspect of a job that we run, that's a much bigger lift. Maybe we'll get there someday, but yeah, it seems really hard to deal with like labor allocation because you're, you can, it's easy to look at like machine time, but it's not as easy to figure out that one part was super fast to set up and keep running. And the other part was yeah. really complex labor allocation, tooling allocation, like general shop overhead yeah. allocation. Like it turns into, right. I guess some of those things you can sort of like general overhead allocation, you could maybe divide by time and sort of distribute. That yeah, that would be bit. pretty rough. Cause like if something was really small and barely takes up any space in the shop and then something yeah. else is really big, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, it sort of leads into a question I've been, I, I have a, a comment here written down, um, about the issues of cost accounting. Mm -hmm. Um, also a gold rat special. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, uh, enemy number one yeah. cost accounting <laughs> public enemy number one <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> and I was just thinking so we're pushing kind of hard to get our overnight runs um, to be a reality yeah um, so we just got up to a four hour run time and then the next step is aimed at a, a 16 hour which would be huge yeah and the funny thing about cost accounting is if you look at our spreadsheet the cost of those parts does not go down at all. Yeah. Which is wrong. Because well, <laughs> if we can yeah. throughput double the stuff suddenly, yeah. there's no way that you could say that the business is the same. Yeah. Right, but because our something fixed I've, costs don't go up. Yeah, this, that I've conf been confused about as well, about how to handle this. Because I've, yeah. heard, I've heard people say, well, you don't, don't charge any less. You just make a better profit on, on the stuff that you make. Yeah. On the other hand, in a competitive market, right. If other people are doing the same thing and you're still trying and they can lower their costs on their product because of this and still maintain a viable business and you're not, then you'll be pushed out of the market. So I don't really know like where the balance is. And I've heard, you know, I've read a lot of articles where, um, referencing automation mostly uh -huh. where shops will say, yeah, this is like moving to overnight runs and fully automated is the only thing and lowering our costs because of it is the only thing that's allowed us to compete with overseas manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So clearly they're lowering costs. 
Right. And where do we land? You know, I struggle with this as well. Like looking at a project and being like, okay, should we just quote it as is, or should I quote it with the assumption that we're going to try and automate it and make it cheaper or. Yeah. I mean, my suspicion is that you shouldn't start off by making it cheaper because there's a huge investment in time and money to get it, to make it automated. Yeah. But I do think that there's no way. And, and our spreadsheet does have a, a way of accounting for this. We mm-hmm. have a whole spreadsheet on what to essentially bill the CNC time at. Yeah. And that is heavily reliant on how many hours it runs per year. Uh-huh. Right. Like the more it runs per year, the the less each hour costs. Yeah. Essentially. But um, yeah, I, I just think like it's such a glaring example of the issues with cost accounting um, and like having good metrics. And I, I, I don't know what the answer is at all mm-hmm. internally. Like, what do we do? <laughs> right. Like if we do succeed in running nearly 24 hours a day instead of eight hours a day, like that is a huge difference. Yeah. But our theoretical cost of goods doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Theory and practice are the same in theory. <laughs> are the same in theory. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it is It is confusing. Um, and cost accounting would say run it as much as possible to drive that price down. Like the more you run it, the more, the low, the less each unit costs because the, because the machine costs a certain amount per year. Um, yeah. That's, you know, one of the examples of a key reason of over, you know, key driver of overproduction and cost accounting is like run this machine so that it's making money theoretically. Right. Um, In our case, it would be making money. Yeah. 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 But the reason the price doesn't really go down in our current spreadsheet, well, maybe it's just not a good enough spreadsheet. Um, Mm. I don't know. Cause like we don't have, it's not like we're going to then, uh, you know, pay out that much more in labor. Yeah. We're all going to come in in the morning and start processing parts in an eight hour day. Uh huh. So there's no way <laughs> <laughs> that it scales, that it just scales linearly. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, if anybody has any feedback. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is like blind leading the blind over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I just pretty striking, um, after reading and then seeing it. So, vividly yeah um i talked to someone reached out on instagram about uh some production issues i was having around pins Mm -hmm. um i ended up uh setting up a little phone call with them they i might get these numbers wrong but they worked at uh a cigarette manufacturing company in high speed manufacturing yeah they were running lines that did i want to say 2200 parts a minute wow Parts being cigarettes? Uh, they were doing cigarettes and e-cigarettes. Yeah, okay. Um, wow. But kind of mind-blowing. I, I've been trying to figure out how to get my cycle times down. I've been staring at the machine, and you just see so many, like, a few seconds here, a few seconds there that yeah. could be eliminated. And if I eliminated them, again, going back to our cost of goods, like, that would... Uh-huh substantially change our cost of goods or more importantly substantially change your throughput yes yeah yes <laughs> something like that i don't know yeah that's a little are we looking at the head side of the tail side of this coin <laughs> yeah um well it's just funny because it's not a true bottleneck and so my pauses are sort of like when you're building a company Mm -hmm. you want to be pricing things there's two pressures one is to price things high enough so that in the long run you it is a real business Mm -hmm. right and people often make the mistake of like oh i'm one guy in my garage, my yeah. rent is zero. My <laughs> I'm just going to come in and cut under the market. And yeah. And it's like, wow, I get so, so busy. And then you try to scale that and it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is not profitable. Um, and then on the flip side, you don't want to integrate your very high costs or very low utilization of equipment or any of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then ask customers to pay a crazy high premium for the fact that you're just figuring stuff out, <laughs> you know? I was going to interrupt you real quick. Do you feel like you have a solid idea of what 
you know, using theory of constraints methodology of like what your constraint, what your like hard bottleneck is in your business? Or do you feel like it's many different places still? Well, I think there's, I don't know how to think about this, I guess. Um, And I'll talk through it. Basically, on the one hand, there is a hard, it's not a hard constraint, but the CNC mill, if we try to scale our production, is the one piece that is a serious cash investment. Uh Uh-huh. Right. To get our throughput up. Everything else is pretty straightforward. Um, To scale. To scale in numbers. Uh That being said, every single one of those projects involves time. And so you could argue that time is our bottleneck. So that's that's the thing I sort of flip back and forth on. It's like getting overnight runs going is my time sitting there programming stuff, thinking through failure modes, all that stuff, doing test runs, right? Mm -hmm. I can either be doing that or I can be developing new products. Mm -hmm. I think revenue-wise, new products are going to be very impactful. Mm -hmm. But I also know that getting our throughput up and incre- and decreasing our costs put- could potentially be very big as well. Uh-huh. So the question is, what do I put the time into? And that is throttling the business. Yeah. So you- if we're just looking at straight numbers of how many buckles can we make in this space, the mill is the constraint. Uh-huh. I can buy new tumblers. Each tumbler is like $265 if you go with the cheap ones. Yeah. You can add a That's paint easy. station and a paint, person. We're not super limited on. Yeah. Like it's we annoying paint for now. an hour a day. Oh. So it's like, that would be easy. Interesting. I mean, again, it's my time, but I could theoretically hire. Yeah. I'd love to automate it. Yeah. <laughs> that is my time as well. Interesting. So I don't know. I mean, I'd be curious to hear what you think. What yeah. No, our bottleneck? Just, yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's similar again coming back to the scale issue at this scale it's easy to focus on production issues and then kind of come to realize that the real constraint of the business as a whole is like a personnel and a time issue yeah but i think also important not to lose sight of what the production bottleneck will be so that as you scale you're not caught off guard yeah we're starting to bump up against yeah so in the 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 milling the, the machining of the parts is still sort of the most time intensive per unit as it were i don't think it's just i i think it's a combination of that and the fact that the fix is extremely expensive Uh right like the tumbler is maybe more of a constraint except that it's really easy to alleviate the constraint yeah so there's that yeah that i don't know how to talk about that i guess like well yeah i guess the i don't know just reading a little more about toc the last few days, it's kind of interesting to like walk through how he structures the PDCA loops, sort of, mm-hmm. which is kind of like identify the constraint. acronym salad over yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> identify the constraint, then exploit the constraint, which I found a little bit, the wording a little bit confusing, but that basically means like do everything you can to optimize or offload so yep. that the constraint becomes not a constraint. So if you're like aware that in the production side tumbling is right now maybe setting the the beat the pace of production but that is a very easy constraint to exploit if necessary yeah and then it seems like your anticipation is that the next constraint you will find will be machining of the parts and that will sort of set the pace of production until you add another machine or change the process somehow considerably something along those lines yeah interesting yeah but you can't do any of that until you (laughs) until you deal with time and personnel problems essentially yeah yeah i I think i'm in a similar sort of i mean hiring sam i i look back and it's like i should have done that so much sooner because our revenue hasn't doubled by any means since hiring a second person but the number of projects we've been able to tackle yeah since he's joined has been huge yeah like really important big projects that are sort of going to determine the future of the company instead mm-hmm. of just like 
keeping up with production basically day to day and like doing some sales and yeah whatever like i don't know yeah kind of lost time so yeah yeah it's hard i'm probably I, doing the same thing right now also <laughs> is right. i'm kind of maybe realizing no i think i'm in the same cash flow wise it's tough yeah i think i really need to add another person i'm not quite sure what role to add to and then yeah. we have a kind of a hard constraint of our space right where like there's not a place for another person to park mm-hmm. <laughs> it's on private property and it's not my property yeah um standing desk in the yard <laughs> no i just mean their car <laughs> oh, oh oh i see parking that way right uh, and then in terms of in the shop yeah it's like very very tight like already i'm sort of in the way where my desk is right um if we add another body in there it's like uh, how's this gonna work but at the same time in the last month our the limitations of our of our flow have become extremely apparent mm. um having said that and kind of in regards to adding people it's been very interesting just to track our gross you know our gross profit or you know gross revenue mm-hmm. um I think when I added part-time people, like maybe an, an additional three person days per week, uh-huh. um, I think the business almost doubled. And then when I brought on a person full-time, it did like uh, half again. Okay. And then when I added a third person... So that was at the end of this last year and we're not going to double, but we're on track for like almost doubling. Wow. Which is pretty wild to that see. Is... Cause like we've been working on process improvements, et cetera. Right. But really that is the big change that's happened in the business is we added another person. Right. Yeah. And most of the process improvements have been just to like enable us to actually utilize more people um, and, you know, kind of get through the work. But it's still astounding to be like, oh, just like, yeah, I think we've talked about this in the past, but like person hours really are what drive a business without, without the people there. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just nothing. It's nothing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, especially when you're growing something, Yeah, then there aren't processes in place. There isn't, I don't know, like you can build a website that can generate revenue, right? Like building a piece of software. Yeah. I mean, which is not what we're doing at all, (laughs) but (laughs) right. Like there are things that can generate revenue once they're built, Mm -hmm. but someone's got to build them. Yep. Yep. Um, let's see. So speaking of that being the bottleneck, we've sort of been talking and you're like, well, okay. So backing up, we had a pretty bad day of production. Mm-hmm. I should say lack of production. Um, yeah. <laughs> on Friday, I came in. Had a bad day of scrap is what you had. <laughs> yeah, ran pins and I came back to the machine and there were just pins all over the machine. Yeah. Um, and not good ones, right? <laughs> no, really, like really mangled. And looking at them, I was like, I can't even imagine how the mill made this part. Uh-huh. Like the chamfer mill went right through the center of the pin. It's meant to sort of just skim the corners off. Yep. Um, so then I watched it run, and what was happening is it was pulling the, the finished pin out of the vise. It was going over to the cup, opening, and the pin wasn't falling out of the gripper. Yeah. And then it was going and picking up a second part. So then it had two pins and went over to the vise and loaded both in, even though there's only room for one. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the problem. So... Fix the problem. Um, How did you... So, sorry, backing up. The gripper fingers, do they have a relief to hold a pin? Yeah, they have a little relief, yeah, so on one side. Interesting. So, it was holding... How did it hold two pins then? Oh, because the other one would just sort I of still one be was, stuck. Yeah, one was pushed up higher in the gripper and it held them enough. I mean, it wasn't... It didn't look organized, <laughs> but they were both <laughs> in the gripper. It really um, didn't fall out. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, anyway, so I reprogrammed it, uh, to blast it with a little coolant to make, I cleaned off some gunk that uh-huh. I don't know what it was that it was making it stick. I think. Interesting. I don't know if that was dried coolant. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but that was interesting. Clean that off. That seemed to fix the problem, but I was like, I really want to fix, fix the problem. Yeah. So I added a little blast of coolant, which seems to do the trick. Uh-huh. Um, 
And then I was, uh, there was some damage to the vice jaws. We built in a, um, basically, so you can comp, you can compensate for, for tool wear yeah. of the jaws. Um, and, and so I was trying to comp it and I was like, <laughs> why is this not changing anything? So I changed the number by a few thousandths of an inch, which is typically plenty. Nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. I was up to 20 thousandths of an inch and I was like, okay, <laughs> something is not right. So I dug through the programs and it turned out <laughs> that I had done it for the three quarter pins, but not for the one inch pins. Yeah. Or, but I, I had half done it for the one inch pins. Right. I just hadn't connected the dots basically in the program. <laughs> and so I was doing absolutely nothing. So I fixed that. But basically, it took me probably four or five hours of just like futzing around with the program, fixing stuff that it was broken, you know, all this stuff. So it was kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> kind of interesting, kind of crappy. <laughs> I mean, it was crappy, but at the same time, like, it's interesting to see what breaks down because yeah. like this whole the premise of pushing things to their absolute limit a big piece of that is everything needs to become more robust because yeah. if you're at the limits and having things break down mm-hmm. it's much less profitable like there's that in the Toyota way I think they talk about like going to single piece flow without having everything in place yeah to do that successfully <clears throat> and you'll end up with like 80 to 90 percent downtime yeah backing up slightly to the gunk the sticky gunk do you think um like does the does the pin material come with stickers on it oh that's an interesting question mm, sometimes like i wonder if there was adhesive that's somewhere that just like stuck. we do put e-tape on it for the cutting process oh interesting that could be it what if you had a different batch that got hot or something and was right. leaving residue, sticky residue? That's a thought. I don't know. It just seems like an odd... How many sim- more times do we have to ask why? <laughs> well, you probably have to test that theory Why first. do we put tape on it? That is a good question. <laughs> that is a good Why do you put tape on it? Because the way we saw them is silly. Ah, uh, yes. And hasn't been solved. Um because you bundle them is that why it's taped? yeah we bundle them into three and so we tape them together to bundle them which is all waste you tape at one end no we tape three side by side side three by bars side. but do you just tape the whole the bundle at an end or you, you tape the along the whole thing we put little rings of tape yeah like three along the length of it uh-huh. um we just borrowed a mm, bar splitter i think it's called bar parter from uh anyway it's, it's basically a little shear with an eighth inch hole in it mm-hmm. and you poke it through and it works beautifully so now we're sort of trying to figure out how to uh make it automatic yeah i was half joking but also not joking about <laughs> mounting that in the mill and then just using the gripper to increment the bar through it uh-huh. and then just putting a cylinder on it and then grabbing that one and putting it in. That said, speaking of exploiting the bottleneck, yeah. moving cycle time into the into the mill, mill bad bad is move bad from that standpoint. But if you look at the global bottleneck of human labor, you could be like, okay, buying a second mill is actually really cheap relative to hiring, uh, yeah. which it is. It is, but I um, guess I just think that like labor is easy to distribute amongst a lot of tasks yeah i think like toyota talks about flexibility the mill is terrible at packing orders and shipping orders yeah (laughs) it is no good at painting it is no good at plant improvement it can't vacuum yeah yeah i don't think putting it i think getting it out that process as a whole out of the mill seems like pretty high priority the pins yeah yeah, so we were sort of talking through different solutions there. Yeah, I got excited. I think they I think they could be really cool and maybe not even that complicated. Yeah, I think you got excited and I got like overwhelmed. <laughs> overwhelmed because I'd be the one building that. Yeah. And it is exciting, but this gets to the question of like Yeah, I mean some of the things we talked about, I don't know if you want to Sure. Yeah. is like 
having something i forget exactly all the ones we talked about but the idea i had was a shear that drops a pin into a chute or somehow gets it to a gripper Mm -hmm. the gripper is on a is an on an arm on a swivel and that runs it through two abrasive wheels that take it to length Mm -hmm. but you've decided that maybe after using that shear maybe that part's unnecessary and then so runs them to a station where a grinding wheel on an eccentric, like a conical grinding wheel on an eccentric does the deeper for the corners. Yeah. Which, yeah. <clears throat> and yes, we did discuss a lathe, but right. And that, which seems like the obvious solution, but is like, it's sort of strangely like strangely challenging. Like you sort of, you really end up needing a, a, sub spindle to do this effectively yeah and it just seems like what's the saying about uh like crushing a fly with a i forget it's just like overkill it's insane overkill yeah it's like we're doing such a basic thing the required precision is very low yeah it just seems crazy that you'd need like a sub spindle uh-huh. <laughs> um yeah i don't know um i like the idea i think um Yeah, I think I've been struggling just generally with this idea of like, do you build stuff in house or do you buy solutions to problems? Mm -hmm. Um, Shigeo Shingo talks about the inverse or that time. And what does he say? It's like time and ingenuity are like make up for each other. Ah. And so people often say like we can't because we don't have enough of whatever and he's basically like either you spend time fixing that problem Mm -hmm. and apply your ingenuity or you just spend money Mm -hmm. on it it's sort of like use your brain not your wallet Uh but i don't know if that's good advice because (laughs) i only have one brain and also there's a lot of other people with brains out there who have solved these problems already Mm -hmm. now it would be ideal if someone made a machine for pins that didn't for pins that were not highly precise. Yeah. Right. Like there are dowel ma- like precision pin grinding machines. I mm-hmm. don't need that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I don't know how to think about like, do I, and we've, set, we've determined right. That dowel pins are too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Precision dowel pins are very expensive. Comparatively. Um, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of weird because so like, talking it through basically like austere manufacturing is not in the business of of designing pin making machines right right? that's not exactly what's making us money Mm -hmm. we are allegedly in the business of making new buckles Mm -hmm. (laughs) i say allegedly because (laughs) we made yeah anyway um we need to release new products um and so do we focus on sort of generally do we focus on process improvement increasing production all these things or do you put your time into like the sort of like the unique selling proposition of our business has nothing to do with how we're making the things i mean it sort of does right we're like cnc mm-hmm. hardware with this and that but it's like cnc hardware is shorthand for the quality yeah. it's not about like yeah um i don't know it's it's very tough i i like i go back and forth yeah on it on the pins and just generally like do we build a lot of custom machines because the other side of it is like there's a lot of um like at some point we're probably gonna get knocked off Mm -hmm. i think you're much less likely to knock to get knocked off if you've invested a lot of time successfully in building custom solutions that drive down your costs yeah right right it's like you're buying dowel pins anybody can go buy dowel pins and do that right and if you're pricing if you're priced accordingly they everybody can just copy that achieve that same pricing yeah but if if you're making a pin that's good enough quality for what you need to do looks good and you can get it at a quarter of the cost not everybody can yeah and it took you a month to build that machine and you have 20 other machines like it in your space yeah you know there's going to be a lot of head scratching and a lot of work that needs to be put in to to catch up Mm -hmm. and i think already we have some of that but you know i'm not going to fool myself and say (laughs) no one can do what we've done right um but i think yeah so 
I think there's merit to that too, right? Like you have, you build custom solutions, you build machines that are impactful to what you're doing and it does give you a competitive edge. Yeah. I mean, if you come back to TOC, that, that philosophy would say, identify the single constraint in the business and subjugate all other tasks. Yeah. So that, and then once you've solved it, move on to the next. And so I get that. Do I feel like similarly to like some of the TPS stuff? Yeah. It's sort of like all the examples they talk about are not me. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so some of it, it's tempting to sort of say, "Eh, I'm not sure. Right. Similarly, TOC, I understand if you walk into a production plant and say like, wow, everything's flowing except this one machine that Mm -hmm. everything passes through. Mm -hmm. It's like, that is a really convenient example for TOC. Yeah. I am in no way saying that if Goldratt (laughs) was around and had a look at our shop that he wouldn't have some very useful thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not saying that, but what I am saying is it's very unclear to me the, the like the one bottleneck i like if the one bottleneck is labor does that just mean higher and maybe the answer is yes Uh that's i guess that's kind of like not to say that that is the solution but it is an interesting thought experiment to run yeah and game out and think about how that would affect the business as a whole if you've determined right our our prime the primary bottleneck in your business is making new products which seems to come up a lot. That's why I'm using the example. Um, Unfortunately, it does. Yeah. Then, and you determine that that is genuinely the, the primary constraint in the growth, the throughput and growth of the business. Yeah. Game and, you know, and then game out what it would look like if you were to hire somebody. And then it would become pretty clear that making a pin machine is probably something for down the line. Yeah, and I think that's where it's at, basically, is yeah. like, I, it sort of depends how you want to grow the business, or how I want to grow the business, <laughs> right? Sure, but does it, though? I guess that's the question. Yeah, because one, one option mm-hmm. would be grow the business by growing production capability of this product Yeah. until we've, I don't know what the end game there is. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is that that the former option doesn't negate that potential, that possibility. What's the former option of, of hiring someone to add, yeah, to yeah. make it so you could add no, new products. Then you potentially have multiple products that, 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 uh, benefit like say a lot of your products are probably going to have pins, right? You know, you might get to a point where you're like, okay, so now we have multiple products that, former constraint has been solved now we actually do have a pin constraint because we have six products that require pins and making all these pins has become a bottleneck for us now is the time we tackle this this pin machine and we really get this dialed and this is a core part of our um you know our our in-house engineering and what's the word like trade secret or something for how we make our product as good as we do at the cost Yeah. yeah 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 I think the answer is definitely hire someone. I think as a small business that's sort of bootstrapping it. Yeah. Oh, it's ter- terrifying. Absolutely. I terrifying. mean, <laughs> I can afford it, uh-huh. but it is, I, I wonder. Yeah. I think it feels crazy can't, a like, little bit. You feel like you can't afford it. Like hard stop, like full stop. Just like, yeah, yeah we could just do this tomorrow and be fine. Yeah. We would not run out of cash. That said, Allegedly, the point of doing this is to make some money. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that is partially like that would affect my ability to pay myself again. Mm. That would be OK. So full stop. It's not quite. It's like you can. No, I'm underpaying myself currently. Yeah. And my th- I was sort of like, maybe I should increase my pay. Yeah. And I've been underpaying myself from the beginning, like yeah. in a, from a market sense, right. <laughs> drastically, <laughs> right? And so the goal there is build value. And you're sort of saying like, one day I like this, like we'll grow this and there's a plan and we're seeing results and it all looks good. Yeah. And it's fun. Um, well, no, I think if you are, if, if that's part of the equation, I think then 
like the full stop answer is no, we can't hire somebody yet. Maybe. Yeah. But on the other hand, the most expensive part of what I'm doing is opportunity cost. True. And so <laughs> as we pointed out last week. Yeah. And so the biggest <laughs> real like there's the other way of looking at it would be like, who cares if I'm not making money this year, uh-huh. if that's okay, or not making much money. Yeah. Personally. If I can get to a place where I like get the business to a place where it is generating the amount of money that I want it to generate, Mm -hmm. which I think is totally doable. Mm -hmm. But I think there's some risk in, you know, uh, who was it who said uh, predictions are hard, especially about the future. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Some physicist, I'm forgetting his name. Anyway. Right. So like there's a degree of risk to that of like maybe in two years it's like, oh, I didn't foresee that. And I spent all the money the business was making on growth. Yeah. Which gets into the model of startups. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. So it's tough. It is. I think part time may be the answer. Uh, A part time person. Maybe the thing is part time for like yeah. big juicy projects. Right, is really like, difficult. I would like a very qualified, exceptional <laughs> candidate for Can cheap. I hire them for fifteen <laughs> hours a week <laughs> at a low hourly. <laughs> yeah, how does that sound, guys? Yeah, that's what I need. So if anyone's listening, <laughs> yeah, and you happen to have a small child and don't want to work a lot, uh, yeah, really value your lifestyle, but are super talented. Come talk to Ariel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the, those people do exist. They exist. Yeah. My book, my future bookkeeper. Yeah. Uh, worked in corporate finance um, as an accountant, then was worked for a CPA. Then she had a kid and kind of took a break and was kind of thinking about going back to the corporate world and was like, I don't know if I want to do that. I think I want to work 30 hours a week, um, you know, doing this and there's a big need in the community where we both live there's a lot of self-employed kind of self-starter type people interesting who know nothing about bookkeeping right it most of us um and so i I think she'll be pretty successful and get to kind of that seems like a perfect way to be self-employed is like you just have this like fantastic marketable skill that is very low overhead yeah and you sort of like set your limit on how much you want to work Right. The way the way we're doing it is not, not the ideal. But No, that said, before this, I was just talking to someone about this. I, I used to do consulting and like R and D basically. Yeah. And the pay was much better. Yeah. That said, the stability and the ability to plan your life was way worse. Yeah. Where if someone came to you with a really cool project and they had the budget and it was and they're like, All right, we need you it's yeah. really hard to turn it down. And it's also because of the nature of the stuff I was consulting on, which isn't this like ongoing bookkeeping need. Mm-hmm. It was like these big projects that yeah. were extremely time sensitive. <laughs> yeah. They were like, we need you now and a lot. It's not like, okay, I'll do like 10 hours a week. They're yeah, like, no, no, absolutely yeah. not. That's yeah. There's like a few things that seem to re- work really well for self-employment style. And I think, Generally, if you have like an ongoing regular need for some skill that just requires you and a yeah. computer right, um, and extremely low overhead, it seems like a great win. <laughs> Next life. Next life. That's my plan. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> just going to work on a computer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. I forgot what we were talking about, but we had a little um, interesting thing this last week. I was feeling... As I mentioned, like we're doing all this work, needing another person. I was feeling personally very behind mm-hmm. on the aspects of working in the business that I do. Um, yeah. And last Monday during our morning meeting, I was like, I just really need a day to catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we're going to put the brakes on like focusing on production and trying to like scramble to get all the machines up and running. Yeah. Um, Let's just like, I think we just picked kind of like two like easy wins, a machine that was, or two jobs basically that were like quick and easy to set up and just get them running to kind of keep some things moving. Mm -hmm. But I was like, you guys focus on improvement stuff for the day. We had a whole list of things that's been building up. Um, I'm going to try and get caught up on stuff 
not just programming, but all this other stuff that was kind of hanging over my head. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, I don't know, somehow it was, I, I put it in our sheet as we took a break to catch up, but it sort of worked. Um, doing this sort of like hard stop, like reset sort of allowed us to all take a deep breath and move back into production in a much smoother way. Um, and yeah. it was like palpable, the, the change in everybody's mood in the shop. All of a sudden there was like jokes being cracked and a lot more smiles and interesting. And I don't feel like it really, there was no detriment it was just kind of like coming back to our quote of like glass half full, half empty or too big. It was kind of just like coming to terms with like the actual state of where yeah. we were at. And it mm -hmm. was like, okay, rushing, trying to scramble is not actually going to get like, we only have so much labor. We can only do so much work. So let's just do it methodically. Yeah. And it, it really worked out well. And I feel like by, we, we never stopped production completely and by Thursday, we were into like a really good groove. Um, so it was just kind of an interesting mind perspective change that was really helpful. That's cool. I think I've sort of, I've had that um, just personally, you know, those days when it's like, I'm supposed to have done 10 things by the end of the day. And you're yeah. sort of like spend the whole day jumping from thing to thing. And by the end, none of them are really done. And you yeah. never really just, I think it's sort of similar. It's like, and, and then there are the days where you're like, you know what? I'm going to forget about all those things and I'm just going to work on this one because mm -hmm. it needs. And, and then by the end of the day, like the feeling is very different. And I think you often accomplish more in a funny yeah. way Yeah. where it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. forgetting all those things. I'm not going to bother being stressed out or like running around <laughs> with my head on fire. I'm just yeah. going to move through this methodically and get through it. Mm -hmm. um, that's cool. I, I wonder how you build it feels like a like confidence in your systems could get you to a state where that's always the feeling where sort of like your new job board or not that new anymore. But yeah, if every day you looked at that and that really drove the business, I could imagine there being some sort of like calm in knowing that it's very well thought out of what needs to happen when, and when things are triggered, they actually need to happen. Mm -hmm. I've seen that a bit with our Kanbans. When they trigger, there are ones that absolutely have to get done. And when those trigger, there's this funny, I don't know if calm maybe is an overstatement, but it's mm -hmm. just like, this needs to happen. It's very simple, I yeah. guess is what it is. Right. It's very easy. It's very simple. There's not a lot of like parsing and yeah, like well, analyzing. we could do this first, or we could do it a little later. We could do it before lunch or after lunch. We could do it tomorrow and do this other thing today. And it's like, no, this just needs to happen. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good goal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think well, that about does it. Yeah, it's a good place to wrap up. Um, thanks all for listening. Um, you can find me at austere manufacturing sorry no austere <laughs> underscore manufacturing on instagram you can find me at lichen underscore mfg on instagram though i've been taking a break so if i don't get back to you right away sorry <laughs> and then you can find the podcast at incremental ci on instagram um thanks for tagging us sorry we've missed a couple of them in reposting to our stories um, we we're trying to uh, stay on top of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Thank you all.